When we are reading one of the many letters in the New Testament, we tend to put ourselves in the place of the hearers, which makes sense, right? I mean, the Bible has lots of different sorts of writings in it, poems and songs and histories and parables. With much of the Bible, we have to work a bit to find our place in the text, to find our entry point. But letters, by definition, are addressed to a you out there, you Romans, you Galatians, you Thessalonians. We read these letters, and it's only natural that we look for ourselves among those being addressed. That's how we have been reading 1 Corinthians these past weeks, placing ourselves alongside the community in Corinth, trying to let the letter's words about foolishness and wisdom and the centrality of the cross address us directly. We will keep at that once more today. But before we place ourselves alongside the Corinthians, I want to invite you to try on Paul's shoes just for a moment. We don't normally do that, but I'd like you to try with me today. As we've noted over the past few weeks, Paul started the church in Corinth himself. He spent a year or two in this cosmopolitan Mediterranean city, and things went well, very well, in fact. Paul's entire ministry was animated by the conviction that the gospel was for everyone, and in Corinth, that conviction really took root. People of all sorts of different backgrounds responded to Paul's preaching and teaching. This community was off to a good start, and as was his custom, Paul then moved on, leaving the little congregation to grow and find its own way. He and the community continued to write letters back and forth, and now, some years after Paul's departure, troubles are popping up. There are fights about all sorts of things in the community, food and worship and clothing and relationships, and in the middle of it all, it turns out there is a group calling themselves the Paul Groupies. Listen, Paul, this group writes to you. Remember, you are wearing his shoes for a moment. Listen, Paul, the congregation is a mess. There are disagreements and hurt feelings all around, and a group of us know just why that is. It's because some people, we can tell you their names later if you want to know, have decided that they like other teachers better than you. Some are saying Apollos was always wiser than you. Others want to write to Peter and get his opinion since they don't really trust everything you said. But we know better. We know you were right about everything you taught us, and the answer is to keep following you and you alone. So we think it would really help things if you would write a strongly worded letter to the church, setting things straight and reminding everybody to take our side, which is really your side, of course. You're our favorite, after all. Please write back soon, signed in the holy name of Paul, the Paul Groupies. Okay, so the letter might not have said exactly that, but somehow or other, that is the message that made its way to Paul. So how would you respond? What would you do? It's not so easy, right? I mean, you are far away working with another community with its own problems. You are busy with other things. And here is a group that has clearly elevated you to a very high position, saying that your way is the right way. Wouldn't it be simplest to just side with them? Wouldn't it be tempting to write back and say something like, 
Yes, I was right, and all those other teachers were wrong, so everyone listen to the Paul groupies now. They are on the right side. They know what they're talking about. We all know that is how so many leaders in the church and in society as a whole would respond in a situation like this one. I know what's best, so listen only to me is a favorite theme of despots of all sorts. But that is not what Paul says. In fact, he says just the opposite. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He says it doesn't matter which leader you preferred. We are not the important part. Which is an amazing response, don't you think? The Paul groupies set him up to be the big man here, to lift himself up, to claim the community as his and his alone. But he won't go there. He won't elevate himself above Apollos or Peter or any other leader of integrity. They're all the same, simply servants carrying out their assignments, working for the God who is finally in the business of growing seeds of faith and hope and love. This is our last week with 1 Corinthians for now. We've got just one more Sunday before Lent begins and our readings will take us in other directions. There's lots more to this letter, of course, but this isn't a bad place for us to stop for now. In these early chapters, Paul has been pointing to what is distinctive about the church, the community gathered around Christ crucified. And here we have one more striking example of that distinctiveness, a leader refusing to be placed on a tier above others, a leader pointing not to himself, but to God. I think Paul responded the way he did to model a certain kind of leadership, yes. And I also think he responded this way because he meant for the church in Corinth to hang together, not to splinter off into the Pauline church over on one street and the Apollocene church over on another. He meant for the church in Corinth and in Philippi and in Geneva and everywhere else to be a community where different sorts of people might encounter one another around the gospel, where around the cross, we might actually discover the grace in our differences. I said some weeks ago that I thought we'd be coming back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. So here we go. When I read it this past fall as part of our congregational study, one of the parts that was most surprising and meaningful for me came at the start of the chapter that's called Ministry. It had been a while since I had read this book, and I sort of expected a chapter with that title to be about lots of formal, churchy-sounding things, maybe about preaching and teaching and offering counsel. But the very first ministry that Bonhoeffer discusses, which applies to everybody in the community, is holding one's tongue. The first ministry we owe to one another, he says, is not to say everything that comes to our minds. It sounds like a strange way to begin, right? But look at where Bonhoeffer goes with this ministry. Where the discipline of the tongue is practiced from the beginning, he says, each individual will make a matchless discovery. He will be able to cease from constantly scrutinizing the other person, judging him, condemning him, 
putting him in his particular place where he can gain ascendancy over him and thus do violence to him as a person. Now he can allow the brother to exist as a completely free person, as God made him to be. His view expands, and to his amazement, for the first time he sees, shining above his brothers and sisters, the richness of God's creative glory. Hold your tongue, Bonhoeffer says, because if you stop constantly criticizing another person, you might actually find something truly amazing. You might find that precisely in being different from you, she can show you something new about God. He goes on, God did not make this other person as I would have made him. He did not give him to me as a brother to dominate and control, but in order that I might find above him the creator. Now the other person, in the freedom with which he was created, becomes an occasion for joy, whereas before he was only a nuisance and an affliction. God does not will that I should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me, that is, in my own image. Rather, in his very freedom from me, God made this person in God's image. I can never know beforehand how God's image should appear in others. That image comes solely from God's free and sovereign creation. To me, the very sight may seem strange, even ungodly, but God creates every person in the likeness of God's Son, the crucified. After all, even that image certainly looked strange and ungodly to me before I grasped it. Isn't that astounding? It is not our job to make others try to act and think and be like us. Not our kids, not our spouses or partners, not our colleagues, not our friends, not our fellow church members. God has given us these others not to fashion in our own image, but so that in each one of them we might catch a new glimpse, a new angle of the image of God. Make no mistake, this is a discipline. For most of us, it is far more natural to criticize and critique and judge. To say when it comes to someone very different from us, it's not my job to judge, but to notice the image of God. That's a pretty unnatural thing to do. But the church is there for just that. It's a community where we keep on practicing together. Paul could have tried to silence everybody who liked Apollos' teaching better. He could have tried to create a community in his own image. But he knew better than that. He wanted a community in Christ's image, where there is always room for difference, where there is room for all. You realize what this means, right? It means there is room for you, too. It means you are a part of the way we encounter the image of God. Yes, you. Your presence matters. You enrich this community just as you are. If you were not here, we would be missing a glimpse of who God is. So we keep at it, friends. We keep coming back to the cross, back to our calling, back to the gift of one another. We keep offering ourselves to be a community formed in Christ's image. And we keep giving thanks to God, who gives the growth. Amen.